Welcome to the Azure for Sports podcast, hosted by the Azure for Sports team at Microsoft. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Azure for Sports podcast. I'm Suzanne Tedrick, and as always, I'm joined by the amazing John Flynn. John, how are you? The check is in the mail. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? Great to see you again. Great to see you as well. <laughs> Uh, can you believe it? it's our la- it's our last episode for for 2022? It is indeed, but it's a good one. It's a it great one. We may have well saved the best for last. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm super, super psyched for uh, not only our our guest host, but our guests for here. And and so so, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do the the honors. So so, who who do we have joining us for our our very last episode for 2022? Yes. Yes, indeed. So behind door number one, we have, ladies and gentlemen, a surprise guest host in the fan of the show, Jake Switzer. He's back. Yes, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, y'all, for having me back on as a guest host here to close out 2022. Um, uh, hoping that uh, as we're going into the new year, things, yeah, uh, all good resolutions. I'm hoping everybody has good vibes going into it. So, yeah, thanks again for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Welcome. We're, ha- we're happy to have you here. And uh, yes, the gym membership will be restarted for the month of January. And then February through December, we'll be like, why did I sign up for the whole year? Um, behind <laughs> door number two, we have the guest for the final episode. And this is a biggie. All the way from Minnesota, we have Jeremy joining us. Jeremy, welcome to the show, mate. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Jeremy um, joins us from the Minnesota Twins organization where he is senior director of baseball systems. Um, Jeremy, I'm actually going to throw this one over to Jake as he's our guest host. So we feel it only right for the guest to have the first question. So Jake, over to you. Yeah, thanks, John. And yeah, so for, for the audience, Jeremy and I have known each other and worked with each other for the better part of the last four or so years. Jeremy and the twins have moved a lot of their systems to Azure. Uh, And so that's where my first question comes from. I I want the audience to be able to hear from your own words, how you guys have used Azure. uh, And then, you know, what are some of the the benefits or, you know, maybe a change in processes that you all at the twins have noticed from making the move from on-prem hardware to cloud and and Azure-based solutions? Yeah. Um, the story of us going up to the cloud is somewhat interesting. When I first started, like many organizations, everything was on-prem and all of our web, web apps were hosted on-prem and databases and things like that. Uh, it was actually during the trade deadline one year that I got a call from my boss saying that the systems were down and of course I couldn't access anything. So I rushed into the stadium, called my team in, we all went in we still couldn't access anything. All the servers were on-prem, but we couldn't get them going. Like most organizations, we had an IT um, department that had kind of one individual that was really um, knowledgeable on on those on-premise servers. It was a weekend in Minnesota. So like any other good Minnesotan, he was on a lake enjoying the nice weather as he should. However, that was very difficult for us to track somebody down to be able to help us. And when I showed up in the stadium and the owner and the president were standing at my cube, that didn't make for a a very good situation. So from there, we decided how can we better um, handle this in the future? Um, now, 
I will, I'm not a infrastructure expert at all. I come from more of a software engineering background, but we knew we wanted to do something where we had uh, the ability for more people to kind of be cross-trained on it and understand how things are, how things are operating. So we started making the move then that fall up to the cloud, starting just with our app services and, and a database and trying to just um, dipping our toe into the pool a little bit. From there, we've realized like, it was relatively easy even for somebody like me with a software engineering background just to get VMs set up and things like that. Typically on premise, if we needed a VM to run models or something like that, something a little more heavy, it could take days or weeks to kind of get it and we'd have to provision it and things like that. Now we realize all of a sudden in the cloud, we can set a VM up in minutes and be running and we can have it running for just a night or a weekend and not have to worry about additional hardware and support and things like that. It just really, really started helping us who had um, had limited resources on premise to be able to expand out and do a lot more really cool things. So we started just with app services and things, but at that same point, um, we started growing the R&D group. And so they had a bunch of new needs that that they need. They needed some more additional horsepower. They needed some more, um, we need more storage for the data that was coming in. I'm sure we'll get into the explosion of data, but kind of all of that kind of coincided together with our, our journey into the cloud. Um, while well, it started with kind of a need to be able to manage it ourselves without the expertise of managing server hardware, um, it grew out of then it kind of grew into the ability to do so much more stuff around modeling and analytics. You talked about a lot of things that I think um, are, are challenges when people initially are thinking about cloud migration, um, not only just, you know, that, that skill set, um, but, you know, making sure that from a management perspective, from an administrative perspective, we're not spending too much time and effort, uh, also not spending more money than we need to, that we're getting exactly the resources that we need for the job. And then thinking about where are those areas for innovation? What can, like, now that we're here, what do we do next? What should we be doing next? Have have you as, a, as an organization kind of carved that out yet? Or is that still kind of work in progress, so to speak? Yeah, about what we're going to do next kind of in the cloud, like the next steps. Mm -hmm. What's really fascinating is every time that we have kind of a problem that we want to solve, like Azure or any cloud service, they seem to have a thousand different ways to tackle it. So it's, it's, we've never been held back by like the ability to do something, which I think is really a benefit of going to the cloud. There's always different tools. Somebody's already kind of had that problem before. I don't know if everyone knows, but like a lot of times sports organizations were relatively small companies. We don't have a large amount of resources. We don't have the uh, infrastructure team with dozens of people and security experts and all this other stuff. We have some really good knowledgeable people, but we're limited in resources. And so by utilizing the cloud to kind of handle some of those security and infrastructure things, it's able, it's enabling our team to do a whole lot more. Uh, things that we didn't even think about when we went up there is, is you know, all the sorts of media services, things that are up there and video hosting things that wasn't really on our radar. But when you get up there and you start poking around and seeing like, oh, we could host video up here a lot easier and cheaper than we could on premise. You start kind of migrating certain things up there. And then uh, the sport itself just started necess necessitating things with uh, the amount of data and the amount of kind of horsepower that we needed to run some of the models. So I see kind of the future going for some of the cloud stuff in in the ability to use some of these managed services a lot more. We're seeing a lot of things, whether it's around Kubernetes and other vision processing and ML and AI and those types of things, being able to be kind of brought up to a higher level. So we don't need to know as much maybe about the metal and the hardware and be able to really try to solve problems. And I see a lot more of those services coming out on cloud platforms that allow us to do those kind of cool things 
And we have people coming out of college now that are now used to using cloud. And so they're also bringing a lot of ideas that we didn't have, some of us who didn't grow up on the cloud. So it's been really interesting to see all this stuff kind of converge together. Yeah, that's amazing. And and you brought up something that I think a lot of people didn't know is that you know, your back offices are not filled with, you know, tons and tons of people. Like you'll be lucky if you have three or four dedicated staff members to IT operations for any given team. I think that's something that people don't recognize because when they see the twins or the MLB, they think, oh, you must have tons of resources and people to to address the, the problems. <laughs> exactly. We are really uh, working in those areas, but they're also realizing like they can utilize the cloud. So we now have a cloud engineers and others that are really geared towards how do we utilize the cloud cross organization now to empower the technology group and the IT group who are limited in human resources to be able to do a whole lot more. I think that 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 do more with less, right? That's the theme for everybody. And, and, and it's not just a, a now because of our macroeconomic pressures or headwinds or whatever other euphemism we want to say about it is, is that we're facing is one of the things that you guys are known for is innovation. I mean, the stuff that you do outside of the game, right? I mean, the, the organization partnership with Techstars, for, exa- Techstars, for example, right? And you, you always hear the headlines throughout every season, right? The first, the first AR experience in the face. So you're not resting on your laurels, right? You may not be a massive organization here, but you're doing some incredibly innovative things. And I'm happy to hear the cloud is helping with some of that. But it's, it's also beyond that. It's you as an organization. It's that innovative spirit that you have. So how do you as an organization figure out, yes, we get to 20 things that we could do. These are the two or one that we are going to focus on. What does that process look like with going yes to that, no to the other 19? Yeah. I mean, that's the important thing is how to say no to the right things and say no to enough things so you can accomplish something. That's something any organization struggles with is being able to decide what is the actual, what will be create the biggest result for you. And so we kind of Techstars is a great example, a great partnership that we're able to have. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to work with those Techstar 10 startups for this cohort. Um, And we try to divide those into the ones that are geared more towards sports that maybe the twins could utilize and have a first advantage on. And then more than a set of them that'll geared towards more social and, and others are just like really crazy, cool ideas. And even those really crazy, cool ideas, if it's not applicable to sports, like there's something cool that could come out of that, whether it's a certain technology that they use or a certain way that they're thinking or something. And so like, we want to get that mix in there so that we can like hedge our bets certain ways um, and come out with something really cool. And a lot of times we were hoping to come out with something that we didn't even expect from the beginning. So it's how it's creating that right mixture to be able to come out with something pretty cool in the end. It's been a really fun, Techstars has been a really good experience, I think so far with the twins. Going back to how you guys are using Azure and the cloud to, to do different things or even the same things, but yeah, with a with a lot less reliance on on infrastructure engineers, hardware engineers. What are some of the the innovative things that you and the twins have been doing? It doesn't have to be any of the secret sauce, but maybe some some to use the quote some inside baseball into how you guys are using Azure to do some some cool innovative stuff. So we're using a lot of the standard kind of how we first got into is using a lot of the standard tools. We have you know the app services running different things. We have our SQL databases like. A lot of organizations do, but then it was able to easily get into the other tools um, using Databricks and Delta tables and things like that to really start handling the larger data. So for a while, when we were just on SQL, we hit limitations on what we could actually do and what we could actually expose to our analysts. Now with, with the data lake and Delta tables, we're able to consume a lot more data faster, but then also expose it to the analysts, allow them to start asking and answering their really cool in-depth questions. And so 
that those have been some of the cool tools that we've been using lately. Azure Functions have been great to be able to spin up stuff really quickly and just kind of process and turn up the knobs, however high you need it to go to process things. We've actually gotten to the point where we're running some processes that would hammer other APIs and stuff so much, we had to turn them down. So it's really cool to kind of see like the power of the cloud and like how much we can really turn it up and down. Along with that, a lot of the Azure ML stuff as well, using that to just kind of house the models and, and really take stuff from analysts using it just on their laptops and, and kind of just works for them type of environment and then being able to expose into more of a production environment. Azure's kind of created that um, infrastructure around that to allow us to manage that whole process. So it's really allowed us to onboard and get stuff running a lot quicker and faster than we were able to do before. But that's kind of some of the cool stuff that we're using. And then, of course, we're getting into a lot of video stuff yep. um, as well. I was just actually about to, to follow up. I know we were talking before we started recording about how you guys have used some of the video stuff up in the cloud to to kind of re rethink the way that that you enable or empower coaches to to you know scout players to to watch to watch back footage. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was a really cool thing that came out of being up in Azure is during COVID during the spring, trying to figure out ways of of getting more eyes on on the game. So we. Obviously, like most organizations, cease travel a lot of times and and um, weren't able to do kind of our normal activities, whether it's enough coaches being out there or scouts and things like that. Uh, there was one point I remember it was like on a Thursday, I believe I was chatting with somebody from our IT technology group about the cameras that were at one of our spring training fields. And he was mentioning that, you know, it's a camera that he can watch, he can kind of tune in on from the web. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, how can we stream that and expose it to more people? Like, this would be really interesting for people to be able to scout these workouts, these players that we're bringing in. And so that was like on a Thursday and we started playing around with it. And I looked into, okay, what does Azure have for kind of streaming stuff? I had no idea and I had no experience in video streaming at all. And I started poking around and realized that we could take that camera and kind of plug it right into Azure and have it then streamed out. And then we have some internal systems that can stream video as well. So kind of taking these different pieces and plugging them together um, by Sunday evening, we had released software that um, anybody could log in from our organization and click on and view multiple angles, multiple cameras on a field. So you can have like the pitcher and, and the infield and batter and stuff like that as different angles and kind of watch the game or watch the workout. And this really started enabling us to start thinking like, how, where else could we put this? And so, you know, we, like any other uh, major league organization, we have an academy in the Dominican Republic. Well, we, during COVID and, and even beyond COVID, it's difficult to just get enough people down in the Dominican Republic to watch some of these workouts. So now we're able to take all those cameras down there and plug them into the same system. And we're able to do this at all of our facilities. And so we can have our scouts over in Taiwan or California or wherever they might be, tune in and watch that workout live and then communicate with the other people working out and start coming up with um, their opinion on the player. So now instead of having like three or four people just there to watch that player. Now we're able to have 20 some people, you know, watching it and putting in their scouting reports and things like that. It just allows us to get much better opinion on that player before we either are offering them. If it's like a, a guy that can be signed or if it's a, um, one of our own players and we're thinking about some player development thing, we can have our player development and coaches. So now you have your triple A coach being able to watch your rookie ball players, things like that. It really sets up a cool environment where we can have people from 
all over the world watching certain events and getting their opinion in. So it's really driven a lot of cool innovation. And we've invested in some additional hardware to make it much easier now. Before it was a lot of kind of MacGyvering, holding wires together and making it work. But it was so successful just doing that type of thing that we're now investing in hardware, specific hardware at facilities to really make it easier for our video techs to just click one button in our app and then everything through Azure using the APIs in Azure just kind of sets up all the cameras and all the streaming and then publishes the, the event out live. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I, I just want to follow up, Jeremy, real quick on the scouting aspect of that. So we we have the, the distinct privilege of working with, with all of the MLB organizations and the word scouting comes up a lot, right? And now a lot, a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, right, the, the travel has been... Uh, followed and then and then after uh, covid um, restrictions were lifted and we can get people back into to ballparks a lot of that scouting function didn't come back the way it was before right so you have very reduced number of advanced scout, advanced uh, scouts going out and checking the games and that um, and we hear a lot of of video scouting right what are we doing in terms of getting either just general linear broadcasts or our own private camera broadcasts and how are we using that to scout changing the function and and one of the lines that i heard and i want to get your take on this is that we're moving from a scout using a gut feel to now the scout being just a line of code that a machine's going to go yes or no on a decision what's your take on that i think covid brought on a lot of interesting circumstances a lot of interesting challenges one of them definitely around scouting it forced us to do some scouting stuff a little bit differently rely on video perhaps more rely on some data as well um, from that, we found things that worked really well and that we stuck with even post-COVID. There's always been the people like to say, you know, analytics or scouting. Well, scouts are the ones who are providing a lot of the data for the analytics. Like when they're writing up the reports and things like that, like we're using that type of data. At the same point, uh, the scouts that we have at the Twins are also using the data that we're producing to better target players and what to look for. There's always going to be certain things on the field that we're just not capturing. We can't capture every possible thing that's going on. So scout, we definitely need to be out there and scouting. But what we can do is we can augment with data and really target the right things. And so what we try to do is we try to bring on analysts that that appreciate and understand the scouting side of things and the scouts that also appreciate the analytics and data side of things because it's when you bring both of those things together that you can do something really powerful when the scout agrees on something and the data agrees on something it's so much more powerful than if, if one doesn't agree and one if, they, if they're not agreeing with each other then you you're a little more hesitant to you know do that action whether it's like sign the player or player development type of action. But what we're really always trying to do is trying to figure out how to get the scouts and the, and the analytics to agree. But I think bringing them together, that's the most powerful thing. And that's what we're always trying to do. And it's, it's really, I think the data has helped elevate scouting. So instead of going there and just being like, yep, he had four at bats, two hits, you know, just kind of basically writing the line score out. They're now able to like, dig a lot deeper and like, and like talk to the teammates and like really get in there and see the whole picture of the player. And so it's really being able to elevate everything to another level by combining them both together. As you guys were talking, I, I was thinking specifically that I can see how this has brought a lot of uh, efficiencies to process, especially in light of, of COVID. But I think you hit on something, Jeremy, in that there is a point where there's just a lot of data to consume and sift and, and go through. And so then it becomes, I think, to what you articulated really, really well was, you know, what's valuable and, and what isn't, you know, for the, for the sake of scouting and for our purposes. Is there a point, do you think that there's just like, th there could be too much data to analyze? Is, is there ever a point where you're like, there's not enough? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I always want more data. But the easy answer is please give me more data. But I think there's like some nuances into that question that, that's kind of interesting is, is the cloud makes it really easy to store and, and hold as much data as you can possibly take. Like it's, it's not expensive and you can just get it into a data lake or whatever pretty easily. But like, what do you do with the data? Like data just sitting there is not providing the organization much value if it's not actionable. And so we always say like, what's data or this report that somebody wants to write or whatever it might be like, how is it going to make us make better decisions? And so my one concern when people are just trying to get as much data as possible, sometimes you push too many eggs in that basket. We all have limited resources, limited number of humans that can do things. And so if you're spending all your resources on just getting data in and not doing anything with it, you're not really getting much value out of it. So it's always balancing, like making sure that you are able to do something with that data. At the same point, we can't just say, can we do something with this data today? Because a lot of times it might be no, but you got to think, you know, two or three years down the road, do you think we could? Because then we should start collecting it now. You need to have that multi-year, in some data, you need the multi-year of the data to be able to do something really cool with it. So it's planning ahead, but also making sure then that, you know, when you are able to use it, you have the resources dedicated to it. A good example, like a lot of teams are dealing with right now and, and where the, a lot of data is coming from is obviously the biomechanics systems that are out there. That is a huge amount of data coming in and clubs are realizing that, you know, that's great, but if you don't have a sports science team and biomechanists to be able to do something with it, whether it's player development or, or player evaluations, then it's not as valuable as it should be. So that's where the, the smart teams, I think, are trying to figure out what is that balance of like you know, buying those types of systems and getting that data in versus and having their types of resources that can utilize that system. Spot on. I think one of the cool, the deluge of data, right? That's what we heard the other day. It was like, all of this coming. And it actually, maybe a bit of foreshadowing because you, it was biometric data that was at the seat of that, that question that we had with, with someone else. And it was in a different sport discipline, but the, the question came up with how much data is enough data, right? So I think having an important, an important aspect to, to your strategy is having a data strategy just because you can collect it. Should we? And if we should, how are we collecting it? To your point earlier, sometimes data sets are only worthwhile if they are multi-year data sets versus year one that it's just a reference case at this point, right? We're, we don't have any value in it. So what, do you, what does it look like for your organization? Again, no, no, no secret source allowed in this conversation, but what does it look for your organization when you're going, right, I think that's the piece of data that we're going to get value out of. And this is how I think we should grow it and collect it. For example, what do those look like? Are those multi-year strategies that you guys put in? Or is that something that's ever evolving as different types of data seemingly faster are popping up on the horizon now? As we brought more and more people into the organization, you know, growing the sports science team, like all clubs are doing and biomechanists and other people like that, they're bringing in a lot of these that they've had from other organizations. It's always great to bring in somebody who might be from another sport, whether it's European soccer or something like that, who have done these things a little bit different. So they kind of bring in the insight. If they've done something longer than you have, they kind of know when should you start collecting and what data is valuable. Is it is it valuable enough at 30 hertz or does it need to be 200 hertz? What is, like These types of things, these types of questions, making sure that we're gathering the right data, that we're investing in the right technology. So it's bringing in people from probably outside the game, I think has been one of the big things and, and having them have a voice at the table. I think the other thing that twins do really well and other 
other great teams are doing as well is having everybody have a voice and like making it very collaborative. So it's taking the the trainers and the strength and conditioning and the sports science and the player development and all these folks and really, really listening to them all and understanding like what are their goals for the next one, two, three, five years? Where do we want to get to? And then kind of going backwards and trying to figure out how are we going to get there? So those are some of the things that the twins and, and other organizations are definitely doing to try to figure out, look in the crystal ball and see like, where should we be investing in? What kind of data should we be going at? And things like that. Yes. But on, I think one of the conversations we had with, with Phil Chang from the Lakers around what is that crystal ball? What we should be, we should be investing in is around that voice. Right. And, and the big thing that, that they laid upon was everyone needs to have a voice and you can give people data. You can give people data informed decisions that they can either take or not take. But at the end of the day, if we bring something to a coach or to a trainer and say, the data is telling us this, they have to have faith in you as the delivery person of that. This is what we gain from the data. So how do you build that level of trust between what you're pulling out of the data and what you're delivering to a trainer or a coach where they go, all right, Jeremy's onto something. We're good here. Or I don't know about this. Is this still voodoo? I mean, how does that balance work? Yeah, that's a great question. That's always something that is so important for like what we're doing with the different technology that we're trying to innovate with and deliver to people is like gaining that trust. It's always, it's always something you should always be working on. One thing that I think has really helped with us is with our engineering group is we really like to put people into the shoes of whatever they're building. So for instance, when we're building a scouting application way back in the day, I went out with the scouts for a week and, and sat next to them at the games and tried to learn as best I could how to scout. It's really hard. I'm not a good scout, but I learned so much by being there. And we try to like, um, you know, send people down to spring training and send people to different affiliates and academies and sit with coaches and talk with them because it's part of it is an education process for us. If we're going to build something for a coach or a scout, we want to understand what the current processes are, what the nuances are, why are they doing things certain ways? But then we also want to work with them so that they feel like they're invested in the process that they had to say from day one to when we deliver, it's not a surprise. We're not coming up to them and being like, this is the new book to live by. This is the new report you should trust in. No, they help build that report from day one. We kind of explain like what data we have. And we start with, you know, asking a lot of questions and listening. What would you do with this data? What kind of questions do you have? Everybody has questions. And that's something that when we're hiring at the twins, we're trying to find the people who have really cool, interesting questions that are always have that growth mindset, want to learn. Those are the folks that we're bringing in. So then it's really easy to collaborate with them and start asking them, what questions do you have? How can we help you? What kind of things can we do for you guys? And then from there, it's building up those reports or systems or investing in the technology that they might be interested in. So now that they're invested in it, they'll have a lot more buy-in and then that trust factor comes along with that as well because you guys have worked together on this project. So it's really not even so much a matter of having the skills to elicit requirements and, and the technical skill, but really having empathy for the different people and audiences that you're, that you're serving. A hundred percent. It's, it's empathy is so big and, and our technology group and our baseball systems group, that's something that we're always preaching. We're building stuff for humans and, we need to get out there. We need to work directly with them, have empathy back both directions. And I think we, we have really, really wonderful people at the Twins that really make that easy enough for us. So we've talked a lot about the influx of data in sports over the last last few years, the compute horsepower that's available to, to you guys, to anyone who's using cloud technologies, and then also new technologies that take in biometric data. We all know about 
very fascinating stuff that's coming out of the augmented reality and virtual reality worlds. And then also, you know, I think in sports in general, not just in baseball, executives are more open to using these different types of technologies and all of this different data. So with that, how have you seen over the last few years, or even it could be even more recent, have you seen you know, changes in the game as a response to the data and the technologies that keep getting kind of spun up out of, out of the, the wave of, you know, cloud computing. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of creative people have come up with some really interesting ideas just in the last year or two or three, because one, the data is available now. So MLB has done this thing with field vision now that they've, they've released little bits on the web about where you can take a play and, view it from any part of the field that you want. And so because we have StatCast that's tracking every player, ball, bat, you know, fractions of a second, the XYZ coordinates, you can really recreate any play that you want. So now you're able to give fans the opportunity to see, how did this play look if I was standing next to the shortstop? I mean, just things like that, that you would have never thought even to ask five, six years ago are now things like, yeah, we can, we can start recreating that. And so it's creating these really cool new fan experiences using this technology that all teams, baseball systems that I'm on is interested in how do we like make players better and stuff with this data, but there's also so much cool fan engagement. And so at all the clubs, there's a bunch of creative people that are keep coming up with really cool ideas on ways that they can take it and further the game and and add additional experiences in for fans. It's really kind of cool to see right now. I don't know, Suzanne, I may say it, I may say that the M word, right? The metaverse, here we go. So uh, earlier this year, I was on a metaverse kick, Jeremy, that uh, people just got bored of listening to me say the word metaverse. So I just kept talking about it. But I think, I think the metaverse is an amazing potential thing, right? That we're seeing little baby steps into. And what you just mentioned, right? That recreation of something that has already happened, but from an angle or from a position or from a variance that wasn't captured live but being able to recreate that in essence is a metaverse of its own right how do you see that actually changing the get so from a fan experience perspective that's amazing right no i mean you're in the action how that's this enviable position to be in right i'm, I'm never going to be standing next to a shortstop if I, unless I'm, I'm running onto the field and soon to be arrested right but how does that actually change the game of baseball itself from how we how are we going to use this to notch more wins? How are we going to use this to, to get a leg up on a pitcher that we know that we maybe need to get a, a better leg up on, for example, right? How is that changing? Yeah, I think just the teaching tools that we can start building now around this. So traditionally it was, you know, after the game, you kind of just get a report on, on you know, how you were, let's say in the infield, let's say you are that shortstop and like, here's the good plays you made from the right side or from your left or different things like that. And it's, it's a lot more kind of just descriptive. So you'd have to kind of go back and think in your head, how was that? Or you click on it, maybe see the video, but the video is only from a few different angles and really defensive video, there's usually not much. And so it's rather difficult, but now a coach could sit down with the helmet on the VR goggles on and and kind of rewatch it with them from different angles and see like, Hey, your footwork, your, your foot was like slightly off this way. If we have it, you know, there's so many different things you can really start diving into and give the player better feedback. So I think it's all about the better feedback after the games. Players are hungry for that information after the game or the next morning, the next day, they want to know how did I do and how can I get better? And so it's this type of thing where you can start recreating it and not just text or not just a video from a poor angle. Now we can really start having that conversation with players and really start drilling in on certain drills that may um, improve them for the next game. That's awesome, right? And, and that's always a question that I've had because 
we don't get a lot of of player interaction with our with our roles right that we have here it's it's more with the the the, the people who put the the game onto the the field to court the diamond the pitch whatever it is so how and i think you answered earlier is, is how players are receptive to this data-driven challenge of something that they did, right? Because we all know that historical data is important. We can say you should have done this, but how are they taking that and incorporating that into their daily habits to make sure that that isn't something that they do repeatedly time and time again? How are they, how are they receptive to it, I think is a question. Like anybody, everybody, every player is very different in what they want, the type of data that they want. There are certain players that want very limited data. They want to go up to that batter's box with only a few things in their head type of thing. And there's other players that just love the data. They want as many reports as they can. Um, and so it's what we do is we try to provide everything that we possibly can to the coaches. And then the coaches are the ones who will deliver to the player the coaches the reaches they are doing such a good job at interacting with the players and they know where that player is at that time we may think one thing like hey this person should really work on this or whatever but that coach knows how that player is receiving the information they know how the other kind of personal battles that that player might be going through right now they know how to deliver that information so we try to provide our coaches with everything that they possibly could need and then it's up to them to figure out the appropriate time and place to deliver that and use utilize that with each player. And so far, it's worked out really well. Yeah, so I, I see the goal as defer to the coach ultimately as to what is essentially going to be best for the player, but give the coaches as many tools as they need in their arsenal to do what they're, what they're going to, to be able to do. Have coaches offered any type of, of feedback or reception to this as well are they are they you know are they adopting or off, offering their uh candid feedback <laughs> yeah yeah well coaches coaches are it's, it's harder than ever i think to be a coach right now because not only are you doing the traditional coaching on the field but you're also kind of a little bit of a data scientist at the same time you we have coaches that are doing some SQL querying and they're generating reports and they need to be able to take the biomechanics reports that we give them and be able to understand what's happening so like it's amazing how many hats that a coach has to wear these days. A lot of coaches now are coming from college ranks and other places that have been doing some of this data stuff and are now more used to it. A lot of them have come from being players who are more and more used to it. So as we are getting more and more players that are like our minor league levels interested and exposed to the reports and the data, as they start trickling up to the major leagues, we're getting more and more interest from players and more hungry on this type of data analytics and reports. So it's just kind of been a snowball coaches are doing a wonderful job at trying to figure out what they, how, how we can work together and get the right information to the right players. Thank you, Billy Bean. Sorry. I had to bring it up. One of the cool things that we see, Jeremy, one of the, actually one of the cool questions we get is that, look, we get to, to have a dream job every single day, right. By doing what we do here. And we deal a lot with the the educate the tertiary educations, colleges, et cetera. And one of the number one questions we get is, how do I get a career in sports? Right? I know that's a huge question here, but someone who who has a very healthy career and and, and a very distinguished career in sports, what advice would you give to our, our college graduates or soon to be college graduates or even high schoolers, right? Are going to say this. I want to be involved in putting a sport on a field, a court, or a diamond. How do they do that, Jeremy? Yeah, that's a great question. I get that question a lot as well. There's a few different answers to that. One is I would encourage folks to get out there as far as like 
writing articles on a blog, attaching yourself to certain blogs or certain publications out there and start writing and start doing research. A lot of times, all major league teams are reading those things, are reading those big publications that are out there and reading the, res the public research that's out there. Getting out there and starting to write stuff and get your name out there is a great way of doing it, doing your own research. If this is something you're passionate about, doing research on strikeouts or different ball types used in the college versus majors or something like that. And like, and diving in on something like do that, like show your passion, show your expertise, show your skills in that data science and, and, and get out there. So it's like uh, having your GitHub repository and having some projects in there that people can look at writing in some publications. There's so many different opportunities now with so many different avenues that you can take advantage of and, and kind of expose yourself and, and show yourself off to different clubs. Cause they're all looking and reading at those things. And clubs are always trying to hire smart people from these different areas. So I would encourage that. The other thing also is, is we're not always looking for the, the folks that are obsessed with baseball or, or know the most about baseball. You know, we, we bring in folks from all sorts of different walks of life and backgrounds. And like, that can be some of the most interesting things, like bringing in a physicist or bringing in somebody with a bio, biology degree or something like that, that may not necessarily know that there's an opportunity for them in baseball, but there is like a lot of people don't realize like how much technology or, or the other things that we're doing in baseball around marketing and, and other really cool, innovative things. And so like, I really encourage people like to follow your passion. And then if you're also interested in sports, like there are avenues for you into that. So like, I, I always love baseball, but I've always really loved building things and software engineers always been something that's uh, was interesting to me. I didn't know that there'd be a career for me in baseball, loving software engineering, but it turned out there was an opportunity. And so I would just encourage you to follow your passion. And if baseball is something that's really interesting to you, then, then kind of meld that passion into baseball, show off your skills through GitHub or through publications or something like that. And, and yeah, just follow your, follow your passion. That's a, that's fantastic advice. And thank you for that. And I think it's, it's awesome to see as well is that there is a world within sports that you can do something that isn't necessarily tied to it, right? So, for example, I, I was—I am not a—I'm a, not a technologist by heart, but I learned it, and I use sports as a vehicle to drive my passions forward. Like we're doing this podcast here, and like we're talking about wonderful analytics that we can do with the sports teams, right? Sports is a vehicle, and, and I always view sports as multiple industries wrapped up underneath one umbrella, right? You have marketing organization, you have a retail organization, you have a data science organization, a coaching, and so on and so forth. So thank you for that. And I think one of the things that that is very encouraging for us to see that that do live and, and make a living in the world of sports is that there's always so much interest from varied walks of life, right? From biologists, from pure comp sci, from English majors as well, wanting to get into it. So thank you for that. And, and thank you for your time today. I know, Jake, that uh, as a guest host, you opened us up. I want to give you the opportunity to close us, uh, close us out here and, and give Jeremy one last question here. But Jeremy from the bottom bar hearts, thank you so much for this, mate. This has been absolutely amazing. This has been great. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jeremy, for the time today. So as a kind of a last question, I want to take some time to look ahead. We've talked about all of the really cool things that are going on presently within baseball and within sports in general, with biomechanical data, with stuff like StatCast, where we're taking XYZ coordinates on, on the field and, and doing some interesting analysis with it. But what do you think the next big thing is in baseball? What is the Kind of the, yeah, if we're sitting back as a fan, what are some of the things that we can really look forward to as the game continues to grow and embrace data and technology as kind of a, a mainstay within the sport? 
Right now, I'm seeing a lot of devices coming out from a bunch of different startups right now in the sports industry, different types of wearables or markerless capture or tracking devices, other types of tracking stuff. I see so much of that getting coming out in the next, right now, they're starting to come out with a lot of stuff. And so it's, it's, there's going to be even more data than we are used to right now. And we're having a hard time keeping up right now. So I think there's going to be so much data coming and the need for data science and stuff like that is obviously going to continue to increase. But I think with that, I, I see fan engagement as a huge thing that's going to be continually evolving, especially in the next three to five years. We're going to see a bunch of new, unique opportunities. We kind of touched on a few where you can view the game from different angles. But there's also things like when you're at a stadium, you can you know go up and, and try to face against a ground fastball and things like that. Like give fans unique opportunities beyond just sitting in the seat. Stadiums are starting to be designed around different pockets of the stadium to, for different types of experiences. We're finding VR areas, sports beds and all sorts of different things. And I think all that's going to come together for a really kind of cool, unique fan experience in the next three to five years that will really drive a lot more fans towards baseball. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, fans being able to go to a game and yeah, have a simulated experience where they're taking a pitch from Jacob deGrom or another all-star pitcher. Yeah, we all have at least one friend who thinks that they can take a pitch from a, a pro pitcher or they can intercept a ball from like Josh Allen or, you know, a pro bowl quarterback. What a, a great way to really just humble them by actually being able to, to do it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've stood in on some of these simulations and oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how these, how these, how these baseball players are able to hit these baseballs, but it's oh. impressive. I just think the fan engagement, there's going to be so many cool opportunities coming out. And there's so many of these new startups that are coming out with these really innovative ideas on what to do with this data that we're now capturing. Um, so I'm just really excited to see how that is. And yes, I'm also excited to humble a few of my friends as well. <laughs> It'll be nice to have a real pros versus Joe's experience in the stadium. <laughs> yes, exactly. See, I've never had that experience. I, I just, I know I, I know I suck. And that's why, like, and I'm okay with that. It's cool. <laughs> and, and John, this dovetails exactly into your, your famous catchphrase on fan engagement. You, There's you never been it. a better time to be a sports fan. Come on now. There has right. never been a better time to be a fan. That's amazing. That's right. I love it. Well, thank you so much again, Jeremy. This has been this has been one heck of a way to close out our 2022 season with Azure for Sports podcast. So thank you again for your time and, and graciously answering all the questions that we peppered at you. And uh, I honestly think in the pro versus Joe's, I mean, I think if you were to pitch to me, I'd miss it completely. I probably wouldn't even see it coming. So uh, again, thank you for your time and happy new year to everybody out there. We will be back in 2023. Um, Suzanne, over to you to shut us out. And again, thank you. Happy new year. Well, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for a terrific year. Looking forward to 2023. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure talking with you today um, and look forward for more episodes uh, in 2023. Until next time, everyone, please take care and we'll see you soon.